As we said earlier, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, the first 25 verses. And since we've read them all together already, I'm going to treat them piece by piece here in a second. If you're new to the valley or just new to Rockfish, what we like to do is go through books of the Bible and we've made it up to chapter 4 in Mark. And we've seen from chapter 1, verse 1, that Mark writes to the end of persuading us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That Jesus is God himself and that he took the punishment, our disobedience and rebellion have earned us in order to reconcile us with himself. Mark is writing to us with the hope that we would, that's you and me, repent of our sins and follow Jesus as true disciples. In the last couple weeks, we've learned that being close to Jesus doesn't make one a follower of Jesus. We've contrasted those who crowd around Jesus with those that are called to Jesus, those that are just kind of hanging out with true disciples. And we've pointed out that the true family of God is made up of those that have faith in Jesus. And we've said that this faith is evidenced in doing the will of God. We've said that false disciples crowd around Jesus while true disciples do not obstruct Jesus or oppose Jesus are united in Jesus, have been taken by Jesus, and are obedient to Jesus. Our text today is going to carry that theme a little bit further, make a a similar point. And so uh, I've kind of tried to summarize it with our one big thing. And we've said that true disciples hear the word, receive it, and share it. True disciples hear the word, receive it, and share it. Last week, we pointed out that our text was a a literary sandwich, if you will. And in case you don't remember, we said that a sandwich is defined by that which is in the middle. So if you have chicken in the middle, it's a chicken sandwich. If you have ham in the middle, it's it's a ham sandwich. Get the idea, right? And so we said that Mark had created a literary sandwich by stuffing one story in the middle of another story and therefore making an entirely new point from both stories. And so we have a similar thing going on this week. The center is going to help us identify the whole. And and the center this week is verses 10 through 12. You'll see it says there, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. And so that's kind of the the center of our sandwich. And and we'll we'll get to that, trust me. Uh, And so I just wanted you to be cognizant of that, kind of the form that our text takes. We've got a story within a story once again. And that's going to help us understand Mark's point here. And so... We'll see that true disciples hear the word, receive the word, and share the word. We're going to unpack this text, if you will, in two parts. We're going to look at the parable first, which covers verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to look at Jesus' explanation of the parable right next to that in verses 13 through 20. Then we'll look at the secret, which is the secret of the kingdom, and address verses 10 through 12 and verses 21 through 25. Let's pray together before we get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've called each of us into this room this morning for the distinct purpose of hearing your word. We pray as we hear your word, Lord, that we would be changed more and more into the image of he who is the word. Father, help us to hunger and thirst for your word. Lord, let us hear this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. 
And he was teaching them many things in parables. Well, stop for a second and think about the scene here. Think about how popular Jesus is. He has so many people gathered around him that in order to speak to all of them at the same time and be heard, he has to get in a boat and go out on the water. He's working the natural acoustics a little bit, if you will, so that everybody can hear him from his floating pulpit as he begins teaching in parables. Now, <clears throat> Parables are an interesting animal in Scripture, and it's often defined as a earthly story with a heavenly meeting, and, and that's a, an okay definition, but I, I think our definition needs to be expanded a little bit if we're going to understand what Jesus has said. Parables provide insight into the nature, the coming, the growth, and the consummation of the kingdom of God. They are, by design, both provocative and surprising. They're used to stimulate our thinking and cause the hearer to contemplate what it is they're hearing. They reveal more truth to those with receptive ears and they hide truth from others. They make up approximately 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. They typically focus on a single truth and so we need not press every detail of every parable. They ultimately draw attention to Jesus as God's Messiah and call us to make a personal decision concerning him. We must answer the question, who is Jesus? So when Jesus is teaching in parables, people are not saying, oh, how sweet, how, how lovely, isn't that just cute? His teaching is not meant to be sentimental or gushy or heartwarming. It's meant to be soul-shaking. It's meant to be world-breaking. He's not doing a public reading of chicken soup for the soul. Not sharing fortune cookie wisdom. But as Matthew puts it, Jesus is uttering what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. He is opening, as Wilson writes, a world to the hidden heavenlies. He is revealing a glimpse of eternity crashing into time. It's a flash photo of his own wisdom brought to bear. The parables give us a direct portal to the kingdom of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. Parables are sparks from that fire which our Lord brought on earth. Jesus begins his difficult teaching by speaking the parable of the soils. Perhaps it would be better entitled the parable of the ear. Do listen for how many times the word listen and the word ear show up in our text today. Let's look at verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Let's just let Jesus explain what each section means. And so drop down to verse 13 if you're following along. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Jesus is showing us here that the kingdom of God advances through the preaching of the gospel. That it breaks into our world like seed being sown by a farmer. It's going to fall in various places and receive varying responses. But eventually burst into a tremendous harvest. Jesus is the sower in this parable. He proclaims that the word will come to men and women and children and they will respond according to the condition of their hearts or the type of soil that they are. 
Now, if we are in Christ, there's some some ready application right here at the get-go already. Jesus sows the word. The word is the means by which God has chosen to advance the kingdom. Therefore, we ought to proclaim the word. Like Jesus, Christians must sow the seed of the gospel so that others might hear and respond. And again, people are going to respond in a variety of ways, and that's, that's not typically our concern. Our assignment is to sow, and to sow generously. God is responsible for the harvest, and he causes the seed to fall, to take root, and to grow. We simply sow it. So I ask, as a church, how are we doing at spreading the gospel? How are you doing at engaging your neighbors with the word of Christ? I do think that according to Scripture, that churches that don't emphasize the Great Commission have forfeited their right to exist. So let me ask you, does this church have the right to exist? Are we sowing the seed of the gospel? Or have we forfeited our right? Jesus has identified the sower and sowers and the seed. Now he will identify the four types of soil and will work with each and unpack each. We're going to look at hard soil, shallow soil, divided soil, and good soil. Hard soil first, verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Jesus explains in verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The hard soil people hear the word without understanding and reject the gospel outright. See, the word never takes root, and it's for the birds, if you will. Satan deceives these hard soil people and snatches the word away. And I think this group is often passed over quickly and moved on to the next kind of soil. But I want to take a beat here for a second and help us to sympathize with the hard soil person because the hard soil person is somebody that you know. It might even be, it could even be you. And this is a person that is tough-minded. It's the person that's looking for just the facts. They want a convincing argument about why they should follow Jesus. He or she raises objections, works through arguments. If this is you, I I encourage you to listen to the word. I mean, truly listen to the claims of Christianity. Put your assumptions and your presuppositions on hold and really examine the Christian worldview and consider the claims of Jesus. Others of you know this type of person. And instead of simply dismissing them, I, I encourage you to engage them. Engage their tough minds in conversation. Ask them tough questions. Provide them with some of the answers. Love them. Keep sharing with them the truth of the gospel. Keep sowing the word. The hard soil person is hearing something that they should believe. But at this point, anyway, they are rejecting it. They're unresponsive to the word. They're spiritually blind. This person suffers from gospel deafness. They're a little bit like the the guy that has selective hearing. The guy who pretends not to hear his wife, what she says from time to time. He doesn't necessarily want to hear what it is she's saying. Not that there's anybody like that here. The truth is, is that these folks hear 
without hearing. It's in one ear and out the other. They reject the word. Let's look at shallow soil in verse 5. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And Jesus explains again in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This group of hearers hears the word and they immediately respond with joy. They come forward at the invitation. They pray the sinner's prayer. They come to all the Bible studies and they attend church regularly. These people say good sermon to me on the way out. They promise to be the best of the crop. Yet they are quickly green and quickly gone. They are like the crowd on the shore, eagerly listening and paying attention to Jesus. These are the same people that Jesus gives warning to. This parable is warning us against superficial hearing, which is a more subtle yet no less effective form of gospel deafness. It's easy believism. See, shallow soil people are those that often have their emotions manipulated by well-meaning church folks that are more concerned with reporting a number of decisions made or baptisms than making true disciples. I mean, you've seen this, right? I mean, it happens all the time, especially, especially, I think, in student ministry. Young children or our teenagers, they go away for a week at church camp, right? Church, church camp's good and fine, or maybe it's a conference, and conferences are good and fine. But sometimes they, they result with false converts and false disciples. We, we send students off to a week of church camp or on a, a conference trip, and there's a great motivational speaker, and there's gripping music. And then late on the last night of, of camp, there's this big, emotionally manipulative invitation. And so they ask, does anybody want to follow Jesus? And everybody's hands go up. Raise their hand. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. They're on fire for God. But they have no roots. They're, they're quickly green and quickly gone. Uh, my friend Nathaniel, who's been here to preach, shared a story with me that I love. And so I'm just going to steal it as an illustration. He, he was a counselor at one of these church camp type deals before. And a student had come to him and said, I, I want to follow Jesus. I really do. But I really, really like Nellie. And I think following Jesus would mean I would have to quit listening to Nellie. For those of you that don't know, Nellie is, is this rapper. He used to be uh, kind of the bee's knees in the late 90s, I think, maybe early 2000s but uh, not exactly edifying music. And so this, this student was basically saying to Nathaniel, I think I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not willing to give up Nellie. You know, Nathaniel kind of said, that, that means that you don't really want to follow Jesus. Quickly green and, and quickly gone. Let me, let me share a more personal experience with you. 
when I was in college, I, I went on a missions project to a beach in North America, and I worked a normal job, and uh, it was coupled with just great intentionality as it relates to evangelistic fervor in my life. And so both in the workplace and on the weekend, I was really making it a point with the other Christians that were on this mission trip with me to engage people with the gospel. And, and lots of times we would go out on the beach on a Saturday or on a Sunday and find those people that are just laid out, you know, relaxing, soaking up the sun, and, and we would engage them in spiritual conversation with usually a, a gospel tract. And I can be a pretty persuasive guy sometimes. I talk Chelsea into marrying me. That's the one I always point to when people ask if that's true. I tricked her good. But anyhow, I can be pretty persuasive, and, and I could get folks to accept Jesus. I could get to the back of that booklet and get them to pray the sinner's prayer with me on the tract. And I, I prayed with close to 100 people that summer. But I fear that the vast majority of them don't really know Jesus and aren't really walking with him today and have a wrong idea about what Christianity is, what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, some of them might have just been praying through the prayer to get rid of me, you know. This guy's taking up my vacation time. I don't know how they would remember the experience or if they would remember it at all, but I do know that they were a little bit emotionally manipulated, given a, a soft version of the gospel. Because my goal was to get them to pray the prayer on the back. We've got another convert. My, my great hope is that God gave them all a deeply rooted understanding of the gospel. And they joined local churches and they're growing into maturity in Christ. But I think it's, it's much more likely that I gave them a church camp experience. It's much more likely that they were shallow soil, that they were quickly green and quickly gone. Jesus here tells us that sometimes the most enthusiastic have understood the least. Don't get me wrong, sudden, genuine conversions happen, but Jesus' words here are true. The people of shallow, rocky places, they don't think through what the word means for their lives. They don't know that Jesus demands all of their lives. They don't know that they have to give up Nellie. And he does demand all of our lives. Two quick things here because we need to move on. Uh, your, your job is not to convert people. The church and her people should never manipulate anybody into a confession of Christ. Our job, your job, is only to sow the seed. God is the one responsible for making it grow or not grow. You are merely to sow the seed. Secondly, don't be foolish enough to think that this can't sometimes be the posture of your own heart. Now, the soils represent conditions of the heart, and I believe that it's possible to, to receive the gospel, to be a Christian, but at times to be more like the shallow soil than the good soil. I mean, we do this week to week, don't we? Hear the word in church, quickly respond, and then quickly move on. Friends, I ask that you would receive the word and firmly root yourself in Christ. It's like a divided soil in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. 
Drop down to verse 18 where Jesus explains. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things enter in. They choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. The divided or distracted person receives the word better than the first two soils. However, they eventually get distracted by worry and wealth and craving for other things. Theirs is a partial commitment, which is in reality no commitment at all. At the end of the day, this present life is more important than the life that is to come. The cares of this world are more important than Christ. I think this is a great example of why when you come to Christ, you need to join a local church. The Bible commands that we be in relationship with one another, that we be members of one another, so that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. So that when one of us rejoices, we all get to rejoice. You see, church membership is a gracious protection from God. The local church holds us accountable to our profession of faith. It is the taproot to the true vine, Jesus. Our fellowship here with one another greatly increases our fellowship with God and our growth in the gospel. Our community with one another is where we make our love for and obedience to God visible, tangible, real. Our commitment to one another guards our relationship with one another and with Christ. It ensures that when I get caught in sin, you gently restore me. And that when you get caught in sin, I gently restore you. It means that when I'm burdened with the cares of the world... Mike helps me bear the burden and cast my cares upon Christ. It means when Hilda experiences trials, that Linda experiences them with her and points her to him who suffered on our behalf. It means that when David can't see his idols, Henry helps him identify and crush them because Jesus will not share his glory with another. It means that when Mildred is lonely, David visits her. Barb writes her a card and Ella May calls her. All of them to remind her of the great truth that Jesus will never leave her nor forsake her. It means that when Chelsea has a baby, you all bring us meals and celebrate with us. And remind us that our family is bigger than the three of us. It means that when Elliot's throwing a fit, that some of y'all are often burdened with the task of taking him outside and calming him down. Thanks, by the way. Our covenant with one another helps make sure that we do life together so that if our hearts become divided or distracted from a total commitment to Jesus and thorns begin to choke the life out from one of us, the rest of us stand up and say no and rip away the thorns. This is why we covenant together. So that we can better deeply root ourselves in Jesus. We join together so that we can help one another nurture an authentic and abiding relationship with Jesus through prayer, worship, fellowship, and Bible study. Among other things. Love for Jesus and one another is why we commit to regular fellowship. It's why corporate gatherings such as this are a strong priority in our lives. 
don't miss out on the grace of God to you in the local church. Don't miss out on this blessing of God. Don't just come to church and crowd around Jesus and consume. Commit to Jesus and give. Root yourself in Jesus by hearing and doing the word as good soil. The cares of this world and the temptation to love stuff more than our Savior is very real. These are real issues. There are constantly distractions that call to us to turn our eyes away from Jesus and towards ourselves. These distractions divide our hearts. And Jesus' words are true. No one can serve two masters. Friends, the local church is a weapon of grace wielded by the people of God to defend against the thorns that strangle. Wield it. Belong to a local church. I exhort you, whether it's here or somewhere else, join a local church. Commit yourself to a fellowship of believers. It is for your good. Let's look at the good soil. Verse 8, and other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And Jesus explains down in verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This good soil is the person that hears the word, accepts it, and produces a crop, produces fruit. This is true conversion. This is the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is marked by hearing and persevering. And this hearing is a wonderful thing. It's the kind of hearing a child has when they're told that there are freshly baked cookies in the kitchen. Right? They don't miss that. It's a delighted hearing that sends us running. It's a hearing that brings joy. Dr. Dever points out that there are really only two kinds of people in this parable of the soils. He says those that hear and apply the word, and then there are those that ignore it. Hearing is not a passive experience. If the word is heard and there is no response, it is evidence that one is dead. And this goes hand in glove with something called speech act theory, which basically says our words are meant to have an effect or bring about an action. So, for example, when Chelsea says to me, there sure are a lot of dishes in the sink. She's not just merely making a statement. Her words are meant to bring about an action. Right. I'm supposed to clean up those dishes. That's what she's saying in a nice way. So, too, with hearing the word of God, the word is meant to be heard and done. It is to bring about action or an active faith. The fullness and the fruitfulness of the seed proves that it has taken root and is growing. At the end of the day, a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. That's why John says in chapter 15, verse 5 of his gospel, the one who remains in me and I in him, it's Jesus speaking, produces much fruit. If you're in Jesus, you produce fruit. Are you producing fruit? These soils are a mirror. 
this mud is a mirror. There's a mirror in the mud. Can you find yourself? Jesus challenges and warns you to find yourself in these four pictures and ask the question, how do I hear? True disciples hear the word and receive it. That's the parable. Let's unpack the secret quickly. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is really hard words. This is really hard stuff that Jesus is saying. It almost sounds as if God doesn't want some people to be forgiven. And and I'll be honest with you, I can't answer all the questions you might have, but I can offer some thoughts briefly. One is this. Hearing God's word is dangerous. It can lead to both salvation and to judgment. It can be, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the fragrance of life. Or it can be the fragrance of death. For there is no mercy for those that refuse to hear the word. The word acts as a divider, as a separator. Beware of the danger of hearing the word and not responding to it. I really think the sense of these verses is that Jesus' parables will confirm the state of a person's heart. So true disciples who are with Jesus will be given the understanding of the mystery. They'll be given the secret of the kingdom. And false disciples who are not with Jesus, who do not love Jesus, will be confirmed in their disbelief. See, in rejecting the word of God, men choose and drink judgment upon themselves. Salvation, life, discipleship, hang on hearing. Verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. These verses explain the why of hearing. They tell us the purpose of hearing the word, which is to receive it, do it, and proclaim it. Verse 21 makes sense, right? You don't take a lamp out and then put it under your bed or under a basket. The purpose of the lamp is to light up the room. So too, the purpose of hearing the word is to receive it, to do it, and to proclaim it. You are to be a light into a dark world. You are to illumine the darkness by proclaiming Christ. Word's not given to us that we might hear it and hide it, but that we would hear it and herald it. I'm not going to give you all the details. You can find them in my footnotes if you really want. But I want to point out that the sentence structure here is done in such a way as to present Jesus as the lamp. Jesus is showing himself as the lamp. He is the one that gives light. He is the truth that was concealed, but ultimately meant to be understood, accepted, and proclaimed. Just as Jesus cannot be conformed to old garments and old wineskins, neither can he be placed under a bowl. Verses 23 and 25 tell us the importance of hearing. 
If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I got to be honest, these verses have confused me most of my life. But let me give you what I think the shape of them is. Be careful about hearing the word of God. It's the most important thing you could ever hear. If you hear the word and accept it, you will be given more of it. If you reject the word, it will be taken from you. Consider carefully how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Don't have selective hearing. And choose to miss what you don't like. Hear it all. Those who hear, those that stand at the door and knock until it's opened, will find the kingdom of God disclosed to them. But those of hurried search whose knock at the door of life is tentative or brief will find a once joyous invitation to enter the kingdom of God to have faded into a mirage of disbelief. Hearing the word will lead to maturity. So I urge you, listen carefully for it. Be greedy for the word so that more of it is given to you. Your response, your posture will determine if you have the opportunity to hear more. You will hear the word or ignore it. True disciples hear the word, receive the word, and proclaim the word. They're deeply rooted in Jesus. God has given them the secret of the kingdom, which is a relationship with Jesus, with himself. Consequently, true disciples are the ones that have heard and continue to hear. Friends, the word has been proclaimed this morning. Have you heard it? The seed has been sown, and so it's time to take a look into that mirror in the mud and ask yourself, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil are you? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that you have spoken a word that has the power to bring life from death. And Lord, we pray that today we've heard your word. And for those of us that have been committed to you for many years and have been walking in joy, we pray that we would continue to do so, that your word would be a joy for us. And for those of us that find ourselves weary and and, and dry this morning, Lord, we pray that your word would be as a drink of cool water from a deep cistern. That this word would be the word of life. That it would be a living water that quenches the desperate thirst of our souls. That we would be able to bathe in your word as if it were a river of delights. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to hear and be submissive to you this morning. We pray that you would make us good soil and that we would produce fruit sow your seed faithfully that we would hear your word do your word and proclaim your word and it's to you we give all the glory and honor and praise the true word in the flesh jesus christ that's the name we pray in amen